Our first lesson comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 50, 15, beginning at the 50th verse. I tell you this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor shall the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable has put on imperishability and when the mortal has put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. We say we believe in the resurrection. But do we live like we believe it? To believe, as we just said in our creed, that one day we will be raised bodily to live with God forever. Do we live like we believe it now? You see, one thing that Paul wants to challenge the church in Corinth with in this his greatest declaration of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, he ends with this call that our belief in the resurrection should impact our work now. The the belief in the resurrection should impact the way we see our work now. See, we have a conflicted relationship with our work, with our activities, our endeavors, our jobs, our Work. In one sense, we get far too much of our sense of identity from our work. How do we often greet strangers? What do you do for a living? But also, we're not just wrapping up so much identity in our work. We also are often confused about the kind of work we should be giving ourselves to. I would say that in three years, with all the different people I've sat with here, When I ask that question at the end of every appointment that says, what is your top box prayer need? 90% of people will say something like this. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing in the next season of my life. Not only are we wrapping so much identity up in our work, but we're confused about what work we should be doing. We're conflicted about work. But even more so, Even with the work that we love and we feel called to do, our work exhausts us. It's like the girl that's in school being asked what she's going to be when she grows up and she doesn't know how to answer it. And they say, well, look at your mom and dad as examples. And she says, oh, well, then when I grow up, I'm going to be tired. (laughs) Our work, even our best endeavors exhaust us. And and this confusion about work now 
even gets more compounded when we think about eternity because often the images we're given of heaven, of that eternal future with God, they're vacation images. Even the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, the Christ figure, says to the children as they're entering into heaven, the term is over, the holidays have begun. But what if the Bible, in fact, taught us that in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, in that eternal future with God, that we will be working, that we will have work to do? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, We're beginning at verse 50, again, Paul's majestic declaration of the resurrection. See, in this short section at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is affirming for us that the resurrection tells us three things. First, that our work has been ruined. The first thing that the resurrection declares over humanity is our work, our endeavors, our activities have been ruined by sin and death. But not only does Paul affirm that our work has been ruined, Paul then goes on to say that the resurrection says that our work will be restored, that we will be restored back to that intended purpose of what work was meant to be. But not only does the resurrection declare that our work has been ruined and that in the resurrection our work will be restored, but then Paul ends in the final verse with a statement that our belief in the resurrection tells us that our work now is to be reimagined, that it changes how we work today. So first, the resurrection says that our work has been ruined. Verse 50, I tell you this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can the perishable inherit the imperishable. That word perishable, Paul's going to use it three times in this text. Verse 50, 53, 54. And this perishable word is meant to inspire a great sense of limitation, of something imperfect, of something that is decaying, of something that is dying, something that is perishing. Our lives And our work is perishable. Because the worker and the work we are doing are dying. But this is not how God intended it from the beginning. See, what's amazing is if we go back to the beginning in Genesis, we see in chapters 1, 2, and 3 that work is godly. Work is a good thing. For example, God himself does work. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, after the creation. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work. So he blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God is working and his work is good 
But here's what Genesis also tells us. That we, made in the image of God, were made to work. We were given work to do. Look at chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them. Hear the work language. And God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And just in case you want that word actual, that work word, chapter 2, verse 15 says, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it. God is the worker, and he makes us in his image to do work. Good, lasting, glorifying work. And look what he says at the end of chapter 1 over his whole creation, including us and our work. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. The work the humanity was given to do was good work. It wasn't perishable. It was lasting work. But of course, you need to flip only one more page to chapter 3, and we find the fall from grace. And as we fall, not only does humanity in our sin and rebellion break ourselves and break creation, but we end up breaking work. We ruin our work. Our experience of work is destroyed in the fall. Look at chapter 3, verse 17 to have a description of how our work life now is broken. Verse 17, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Creation, our work in creation, broken, but not just broken. Verse 19 now says that as a result of the fall, your work is going to kill you. Your work will kill and destroy you. By the sweat of your face, verse 19, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Our work, our good work was broken in the fall. And now even our best work, even our most noble work is tainted with death all over it. Everything we do, even our most noble moments are marked with perishability. You can hear the struggle with Paul's understanding of perishability, perishing work, when you consider John McRae's poem, In Flanders Field, the poppies blow between the crosses row on row that mark our place. And in the sky, the lark still bravely singing fly, scarce heard above the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to lift it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow 
in Flanders Fields. You hear the noble sacrifice, and yet it's mixed with perishing reality. And yet, into this dying, broken, ruined work, the Easter gospel shouts in verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? See, Paul, declaring the Easter gospel, begins mocking death. Using Isaiah 25 and Hosea 13, he mocks death because death has been overcome in Jesus. Verse 56 and 57 of 1 Corinthians 15 The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is declaring is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, death has been defeated. Or as one commentator says, when death stung Jesus, death stung itself to death. And so if sin and death was what ruined our work. What does that mean, Paul asks us, if now death has been overcome? It means that our work will be restored. The work that was ruined in the fall is now in Christ, in the resurrection, restored. Restored to the ability to work. Look at verse 51. Paul says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. This life that we know now, this work and these endeavors we give ourselves to now that constantly have the threat and the feel of death and perishability over them, now in Christ, imperishable. Raised imperishable. As verse 53 says, this perishable body must put on imperishability. It's like changing clothes. Restoring what was lost. With death gone, we are freed to return to our intended work, but now without the threat of death over everything we do. Imperishable. This should spark our imaginations. This should create wonder. This should evoke praise. But here's the problem. is far too often the images that we've been given of heaven and eternal life are pretty boring and banal. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, the picture of heaven that scripture gives us is not a Philadelphia cream cheese commercial. We are not going to be sitting around on clouds, strumming hearts, bored out of our minds for eternity. Instead, the scripture's picture the new heavens and the new earth as a city. 
Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, adorned as a bride for her husband. A city. And why this is so important for our view of heaven is because in the ancient Near Eastern world and in our world still today, the city represents the place of culture and work, ideas and dreams and productivity. Now, you've been waiting for a garden in eternity, and don't worry, we'll stick at the garden. The Garden of Eden is restored. In chapter 22, verse 4, we're told that the tree of life is there from the Garden of Eden in the middle of the city with a stream of the water of life going through it. But here's the point. The garden we've been waiting to return to is there, but it's in the middle of the city. It's like a eternal central park. The city surrounds it. Because you and I, because of the resurrection, are being restored in eternity to return to that work which was stolen from us by our sin and by our rebellion. Death is gone, created purpose for us is restored, and that city is filled with activity, activity that gives glory to God. As Anthony Hokema wrote in an article a few years ago called Heaven, Not Just an Eternal Day Off, writes this, imagining the new heavens and the new earth. He says, will there be better Beethovens on the new earth? Shall we see better Rembrandts, better Raphaels? Shall we read better poetry, better drama, and better prose? Will scientists continue to advance in technological achievements before God? Will geologists continue to dig out the treasures of the earth? Will architects continue to build imposing and attractive structures? Think of Notre Dame. Will there be enticing new adventures in space travel? Okay, he's imagining stuff. But he's got a good biblical Christian imagination of the new heavens and the new earth. The resurrection will restore our work. Meaningful. Imperishable lasting work that all will give glory to God for eternity. Now, as a quick note, one thing that this means, if this is true, that the resurrection will restore us to this physical, busy, active, wonderful, restored work, then it means that hashtag YOLO is not true. Now, YOLO, you only live once, sort of the Twitter equivalent of carpe diem, seize the day, right? This idea of you got to get out there because you only live once. Now, in one sense, yes, if it gets you off the couch, perhaps hashtag YOLO is helpful. But for many of us, what it actually does is it turns into a narcissistic pursuit. It leads men into midlife crises saying, I just haven't done enough in this world. Guess what? You don't only live once. You, if you're in Christ, will live eternally in a world of wonder and activity and excitement. You don't need to do everything in this life. What you need to do is what God calls you to do, and sometimes that will mean sacrificing other things. I remember in seminary when I was studying the book of Revelation, 
and really being confronted by just how incredible this vision was of a new heavens and a new earth, a city teeming with busyness and activity that glorifies God. I realized that during my entire time at seminary, I had been mourning, mourning my music career. I had given up my professional career. I was doing well. I was, I was going places. And yet I felt God call me out of that to something else. Somebody said after the early service, oh, don't worry, your music career clearly has not ended here. But I mourned it. And I remember sitting there with the pages of Revelation 21 and 22 in my hands and getting on my knees and saying to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I don't know exactly how it works when we get there, but I have been mourning over something lost. And so here's what I'm asking. I count it as nothing lost, but I ask you this. Can I spend the first thousand years just singing with the angels? This is the kind of imagination, this Christian biblical imagination that Paul wants us to grab. And it will impact the way we see our lives in the future. But even so, Paul won't let us just look to the future. It's got to impact our lives now, which is why he ends with the call to understand that the resurrection doesn't just identify the fact that our work has been ruined and that our work will be restored in the new heavens and the new earth, but that the resurrection says that our work now is to be completely reimagined. It is to reimagine the work we do now, the good, the bad, and the ugly that we do for the glory of God now, even as we still feel that sense of perishability, even as we struggle in this life. We know that our life and our work now is changed because of the resurrection. See, verse 58, Paul says, therefore, and of course, as you heard me say many, many times before, when you see the word therefore, in scripture, especially in a letter from Paul, you have to ask yourselves, what is the therefore, therefore? See, therefore, it links what Paul just said with what he's about to say. It's that link point. Everything he's about to say is based on what he just said. So what did he just say? He just told us that the resurrection tells us that my ruined work has been overcome in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? And he's just then told us that my work will be restored in the new heavens and the new earth. Amen? Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor now is not in vain. See, Paul bases everything he's just said on this. Everything he's just said tells us, don't just think of the future, let it inform the way you think of right now. Your working life now, your activities, your endeavors, the things you give yourselves to inside the home and in the workplace and in the school and in the marketplace, your endeavors and your work is changed by the resurrection, reimagined as work that will last. 
that our good work now, because of the resurrection, will not perish, but it will go with us. See, there's this moment in Revelation 14, verse 13, when, Paul, when John says, he says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, for their deeds follow them. Now, let's be clear. What deeds follow them does not mean that they have earned or merited their salvation, right? Paul will say to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. You can do nothing to merit a relationship with God. But then he says in verse 10, after he says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, he says, but you are now God's workmanship, created for good works in Christ Jesus. In other words, we know what we've been saved from, sin, hell, death, but do we know what we've been saved for? For good works in the power of the Holy Spirit before God. They give him glory now. And those things which we do, empowered by the Spirit now, will go with us. They will continue. They are not done. Resurrection hope means that my work now, even the limited work that I do now, even the moments of failure, the moments of weakness as we still struggle in this world, that work will carry with us to then. As Luther once wrote, if I knew the world was to end tomorrow, I would plant an apple tree today. Our works follow us because of the resurrection. Reimagining our work in the light of the resurrection therefore mobilizes our faithfulness. It makes us think again about the things that take up our time through our day and gives them eternal significance and meaning if they're being done in the Lord for the glory of God. When I left Ottawa, my staff gave me a framed quote of C.S. Lewis, my favorite C.S. Lewis quote. Yes, of all the quotes, I think there is one that is the best. And he says this in Mere Christianity. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next one. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men and women of, who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. We say we believe in the resurrection. But do we live like we believe it? The resurrection says that though our work has been ruined, our work will be restored. And that our work now, therefore, is to be reimagined, even in its limited and at times difficult circumstances. I haven't seen the movie yet, the Tolkien movie. But my favorite J.R.R. Tolkien story is not The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings. 
My favorite Tolkien story is a short story called Leaf by Niggle. And it's Niggle is a person. And I close with this. Niggle is a painter and he paints leaves really, really well. And he's got a vision of a whole tree of leaves that he wants to paint and behind the tree a forest and behind the forest a whole countryside and then mountainscapes. But Niggle is constantly distracted by the troubles of this life. Though he has erected a huge canvas in his house and has a ladder and begins painting leaf after leaf, he just never can get the painting done. The vision is never completed and he dies feeling a total failure. When the next owners of the house years later discover the canvas, it's completely destroyed except for one leaf. And so they cut out that leaf and put it in a frame and they have leaf by niggle hanging in the public library for a time. But that's not the end of the story. You see, when niggle enters in to heaven, Tolkien writes this, something caught his eye and niggle ran to it. And there it was before him stood the tree, his tree, finished, its leaves opening, its branches growing and bending in the wind that Niggle had so often felt or guessed and yet so often had failed to catch the tree within the forest, within the countryside, with the mountains in the background. He gazed at his tree And slowly he lifted his arms and opened them wide in praise and said, it is a gift. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, Your labor is not in vain. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.